Hey ladies and gents, and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry, episode 178. As always, I'm joined by Jordan. Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video game type shit, and it's episode <laughs> one something. And I've got my fabulous guest, Jared. How you doing, Jared? Come on down. I'm doing great. Uh, no Dom this week. He wasn't able to join us. But I think it's only fitting that before you head out after episode 180, we had one more fireside groove between Absolutely. the two of us. It seems only right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Dom should be back next week. Uh, that'll be the... the uh, uh, ultimate. What's the word I'm looking for? penultimate yeah penultimate uh jordan episode uh i actually kind of want to have a guest on there uh for transition period for episode 179 because episode 180 is going to be just me dom and you jordan talking about your experiences with the podcast and all that stuff but in the meantime we have news to talk about that happened this week um i actually did a special i came up with a special topic too for valentine's day uh, in relation to video games, so we'll do that later Ooh, in the show. Yeah, but I love that. Starting with the news, uh, yeah. after it, do you remember this little uh, Avatar project that Ubisoft announced way back when, Jordan, that they were working oh, on? Yeah. Oh yeah. So for so those who don't remember, Avatar project. Yeah, big old AAA meaty uh, video game. Yeah. So it was announced at GDC back in 2017, and this was Ubisoft's Avatar pro- Avatar project. And it recently received a status update. So, a producer at Ubisoft's Massive Entertainment, which if you don't know, they're the developers behind The Division and its sequel, The Division 2. They're also the studio behind this Avatar game. Uh, One of the producers came out and reaffirmed because he was asked, like, hey, that Avatar project you guys announced, like, three years ago, what's the deal? Like, there was a mishap (laughs) with, like, you know, Fox uh, getting purchased by Disney. Like, what happened there, right? Well, he just said, yeah, the game's still in development, still chugging along. I can't give you guys an update as to when it's going to release. Yes, but it's it's you know it's still in ve- very much in active development. Um, if you remember back in 2017 when this was announced, Jordan, there was actually other reports that it would release uh, during the 2021 fiscal year, which seems impossible now because we already know that Ubisoft is releasing five games within that time. And between what they announced and what Jason Trier said, Avatar isn't one of those games. So uh, for those listening, the fiscal year for 2021 would mean it would release between April of 2020 and March of, uh, Mar- yeah, April of 2020 and March of 2021. So it's highly unlikely that that's happening anymore. Uh, it. The funny thing is we've talked about before on this podcast, Jordan, how The Division 2 didn't really... It wasn't a bad game, but it didn't sell very well, right? It wasn't as bad as, like, the Breakpoint situation where it didn't sell well and it wasn't very good. It just didn't seem to hit with audiences the way Ubisoft expected. And I wonder if the less-than-stellar reception of that game kind of pushed them more towards Avatar for Massive Entertainment, you know? Because they have teams working on both of them, but I wonder if the lack of success for the Division 2 kind of had ubisoft realigning their priorities what do you think well jared i think that avatar somehow still remains a decently sized uh licensed property or a uh a licensed property with some decent with a decent amount of cachet and i think that um the division is going to go on and you know, if you want to talk about licenses with cachet, then I think that just Tom Clancy's uh, stuff in general will always have a certain level of popularity to it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't see them, like, abandoning Division or any Tom Clancy stuff anytime soon. But, uh, you know, Avatar could, if they actually made a dope-ass game, it could be a, a pretty big hit. You know, I could see that happening. Yeah, especially along with the sequels coming out in the coming years. It could hit at the perfect time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's pretty much it there. Not a whole lot of news outside of that, but it is cool to get confirmation that it still is in development because, like we said, with Disney acquiring Fox, with, you know, rights and IP ownership, you don't know if, you know, 
what projects have been canceled, which ones have stayed, yeah. and all that stuff can get messy. So it's good to hear that it's still uh, being worked on. What if they um, like, uh, started over the Avatar movies 2, 3, 4, and 5 that we've been hearing about? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't even get me started on that whole situation with James Cameron. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think at this point, I can't remember exactly when it happened, we had found out that Sony acquired Insomniac Games, right? Yes. Obviously a developer that everyone loves, a developer that people thought Sony should have acquired a long time ago because their relationship has been a really solid one for years at this point. Mm. It was so weird when they did Sunset Overdrive for Microsoft because people for the longest time associated Insomniac uh, games with Sony despite them not officially being a first-party like owned development studio. Right. Well, it turns out we have the actual numbers of the acquisition. Yes. In a recent uh, Sony earnings report, it was said that they acquired Insomniac Games for $229 million. Honestly, now, when you see right. that number, yeah, when you see that number, you're like, whoa, that's a lot of money for a developer that, you know, their biggest hit was Spider-Man in terms of sales, right? And it's like, whoa, that's a lot of money. But to put to, to put this into perspective... I went and grabbed some numbers from other acquisitions in the video game world to yeah. kind of compare them. Yeah. None of these are adjusted for inflation, by the way. Okay. Um, it's not hu hugely important because most of these have happened in the last 10 years. One of them almost 20 years ago, but there's only one of those. So first off, Microsoft purchased Rare in 2002 for $375 million, which is quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And I love Rare, but since then... It doesn't seem like that's, you know, that's a lot of money for a studio that's basically done, like, sea you know, Thieves. the Rare Collection and then Sea of Thieves for the most part. Um, they've obviously had some games here and there, the Perfect Dark uh, game on the Xbox and stuff like that. But almost $150 million more dollars than Insomniac. Yeah. More than that if you adjust for inflation, obviously. Next, Activision Blizzard purchased mobile uh, developer King for $5.9 billion dollars in 2016 that's obviously it's a whole other realm star wars isn't it yeah <laughs> Which is but like, man king with that candy crush fuck. so much money <laughs> yeah uh this is one that people don't remember in 2007 ea bought bioware and pandemic it was kind of like a package deal yeah. they bought bioware and pandemic for 375 million so think about that Microsoft bought Rare for the same price that EA bought Bioware. And you're talking about Bioware in its heyday when it like just is coming off, you know, the release of uh, Mass Effect. Well, so it's like right there pandemic, when it's about to hit its stride. Pandemic was a great studio. EA just decided to shut them down when <laughs> yeah. they were done with them, you know, so. And the last comparison I wanted to throw in is a, a Sony to Sony comparison I wanted to try to pull up the numbers for Sucker Punch, but they never publicly disclosed those. But in 2012, they did disclose the numbers for what they purchased Gaikai for, which is kind of funny now when you look back at it because they don't even really use that service, and now they've gone to uh, Microsoft to use their Azure uh, cloud servers. Yeah. But in 2012, they paid $380 million for Gaikai. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, it, you know, in relation, it may look like... You know, without knowing the numbers for these other game acquisition, game developer acquisitions, you may think like, "Whoa, two hundred twenty-nine million dollars for Insomniac? That seems a little high." But in my opinion, I think they got a deal. I think that like it seems like the right price for yeah. both sides. It seems yeah. like enough money for Insomniac to get purchased, and it seems like a, a small enough amount where it's not gonna, you know, Sony's success in the PlayStation realm isn't gonna be decided by Insomniac's output. So the weird thing I just thought it was cool to that they bought Insomniac for two hundred and twenty nine million, right? Yeah. But they're not gonna turn around and say, All right, Insomniac, now you have to use that two hundred and twenty nine million to operate. So they're gonna be Sony's gonna pay their operating costs. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they're they're now an in house studio, so it's like what what is that two hundred and twenty nine million going to now? Are they just like signing mad bonus checks and like everybody's getting a raise and shit like that. Well, it's funny to think about the stockholders who 
like have no interest in a insomniac after it's been purchased so it's like some people are just cashing out dude yeah. like oh, i'm gone you know <laughs> just like all right peace um yeah it's it's really interesting because the moment spider-man 2 comes out it has a really solid chance to easily erase this this money that's being you know uh at least make a dent in it uh w- with sales and stuff so I, I think it was a smart purchase. It's cool to see the numbers. I wish we saw more numbers, but I understand why they don't want to release them. Like, yeah. think about all the studios Microsoft acquired, and we don't know any of those numbers. I'm talking sure. about in the last two or three years. Like, we don't sure. have any of those numbers for Obsidian or Double Fine, none of them. So it's cool all to right. see that we got the numbers for uh, Insomniac Games. Yeah. There also one I didn't list. Minecraft was purchased for I think 3.5 billion dollars as well oh, by Microsoft. Yeah, that's right. Mo Yang. Yeah. Yeah, Mo Yang. Uh, next up, speaking of Sony, a developer that they've had a strong relationship with, Quantic Dream, they announced on their 23rd anniversary that they are officially a self-publishing independent studio moving forward. Nice. So I want to get to their quote in their blog post. They said, and so for the first time in 23 years of working with prestigious publishers, we are now in a position to self-publish. This new venture will allow us to make decisions in total independence and to address the technological and strategic opportunities of next-generation platforms. It will also allow us to help other developers by providing investment and development support so that they can fully express their talents. We want to support creators of original projects and help them, in turn, to achieve their vision and offer quality, groundbreaking experiences. So I want to pull two things from this. One, next generation platforms to me tells me that one of the big pushes for them to become a self-publishing developer is that they want their games on more than just Sony's platform, right? They want to put it on PC, which we've seen recently with their last couple of games, and they want to put it on Xbox, maybe Nintendo, I don't know. Yeah. And the other part here is it seems like they want to work with smaller developers and help them publish their games, which is cool. I'm just worried because their games don't make Borderlands money, and we've we've seen Gearbox make some weird, questionable publishing decisions, and they're able to survive on that because they make so much money with Borderlands. Yeah. Quantic and Dream doesn't pull in that type 2K of money as well. You know, yeah, exactly. And I'm worried that I'm worried that if Quantic Dream makes one misstep with a with the you know publishing an indie title and investing on it doesn't hit, that could sink them. Then again, you go from that perspective of the reports we've heard about Quantic Dream and the way David Cage runs that studio. It can it even survive as an independent studio? Like, who is to say the next time we hear something, you know, hear a different story? Because remember we had the email story that we covered of lewd emails about coworkers and yeah it's it's going to be interesting for them i do think they can be successful as as an independent self-published uh company i just wonder where their direction is for their next game because do you think they go for because it's going to have the quantic dream touch right their storytelling and making your decisions but in terms of a setting i don't think can go they can go as supernatural as they have in the past. I do think it needs to be a little bit more mainstreamy, like uh, Detroit Become Human, yeah. um, and even that isn't super mainstream. But you know what I mean? It's more mainstream than the spiritual, psychological stuff of Heavy Rain or um, Beyond Two Souls. Yeah. What do you think their direction should be for their first, you know, title? Now that they're going to be self-publishing, should they go more mainstream with their setting and tone and stuff? Well. Um... I don't know about like mainstream necessarily, but I do think it's interesting what you're saying. It seems like there's some kind of money in like mid-size or larger developers doing this whole thing with like uh, publishing other people's stuff. Kind of yeah. like what you're talking about with with Gearbox. Um, but as far as their next game is concerned. Um, it, it'll be interesting for me, Jared, to see what genre it is in, because um, is it going to be science fiction? Um, that's going to be the question for me. But you know, science fiction is plenty mainstream at this point, so 
um, that would kind of work. That could work, I should say, with your uh, theory. But um, yeah, I also wonder if they're also if they're just going to be making um, the same like Quantic Dream style games, you know? Yeah. Um, kind of like Supermassive did with Until Dawn. Are they going to do that, or are they going to do like? some third-person action, first-person shooter, all different kinds of stuff they could uh, crack into. So I'm interested for from all those angles with Quantic Dream. Yeah, like, we're not even sure if they're going to do it like a $60 AAA, like, full type of experience, or they might turn and go, hey, let's make these shorter experiences. Maybe they're three or four hours long, but they're reduced in price. You know what I mean? So yeah. quicker development cycles. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they choose. Um yeah, it's, it's, they must have all of that legal stuff like under the, like, you know, finished because I doubt you'd want to leap into independent waters, uh, with some, uh, some court cases still to be resolved, you know, some oh, lawsuits sure. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. 23rd anniversary, you know, it's tough for businesses to last five years, let alone 23. So props yeah. to them because they don't, like we said, they don't make the most mainstream games like Heavy Rain is super kind of weird. Beyond Two Souls, obviously, even from a critical standpoint, Beyond Two Souls didn't review very well. Um, Detroit Become Human, I think, was a little split, but it was on the positive side of split. Um, and I'm curious. I remember that game selling well, but it didn't sell like... I think Days Gone outpaced it in sales, right? With them releasing kind of near each other. It might have. If memory but, serves incorrect. Uh, but I think it was successful. You know, I think yeah, for it, sure. I, I definitely don't think it was considered a failure in any right, and I do know a lot of people that really enjoyed it from a uh, quality perspective. So, um, something that I would like to get around to, but uh, I do kind of hope that they don't do like androids becoming human again, <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, try something else. Hopefully, we'll see what happens. That's you pretty know, much it for the news. Really it was... Yeah. Um, that's pretty much it for the news. It's kind of a slow news week. There was some stuff with Tim Sweeney, who's the head over at the one of the co-founders of Epic Games, talking about how politics shouldn't be in video games, and it's dumb that people uh, choose which chicken restaurant to go to because they don't support certain political things. It's a really bad quote on his part, and he tried to like backstep it. I want to cover that more probably next week when we have uh, a better understanding of uh, you know, him giving a fuller quote and trying to explain himself because right now it seems pretty bad. Um, but, yeah, I kind of want to cover that when there's more information out there, especially with GDC happening and everything. Yeah. But before we close out and talk about what we've been playing, I want to do a fun little topic. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it, but Valentine's Day is happening tomorrow. The day we're recording uh, is February 13th. And I thought, what better way to celebrate than... Talking about our favorite companions in video games. I've listed some off that I quickly thought about. I'm going to be missing some for sure from either games I forgot about or games I didn't play. Yeah. But here are some quick companions I'll list that are some of my favorites of all time. Parvati from The Outer Worlds. I recently finished that game, so she's close to my mind. A lot when people talk about that game. Exactly. She's by far the best companion. There's... Six, you can fully recruit, five of them being human, one of them being a robot, mm. and she's by far the best one. It's not even close, uh, which is funny because I thought it was going to be, do you know that, you remember the initial advertising for the game had that blonde girl that like makes the joke, it's like, oh, why did you shoot him or whatever? I don't remember the exact quote, but she's like at the end of the, the initial trailer and she's like wearing like a white vest with like a red scarf. Yeah. I thought she was going to be like the best companion, but turns out no, Pervati takes the cake. Uh, next up, so many of these characters I can list, but for Mass Effect 2, off the top of my head, I love Morden, I love Thane, I love Garrus. I would still champion Garrus having his own, like, standalone game. I think he's such a strong character in his own right. Um, yeah, but I can go on and on with Mass Effect 2 characters. That's my favorite game of all time, so love a bunch of those companions. Uh, next up, Allie from The Last of Us. Obviously, you play primarily as Joel in that game for almost all of it uh so like her being your sidekick there's some questions in terms of uh 
you know, ludonarrative dissonance with, you know, her, like, crouching next to, like, uh, one of the, the fun- fungus zombies. I forget their name. What's the name for them in the Last of Us universe? The Cordyceps? Yeah, like Clickers. Clickers, there you go. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. So, she's she's a cool companion. Not my personal favorite, but definitely one of the most notables. I mean, I like Ellie, but in terms of, like, her being your companion in that game, she doesn't really, you know. Do much. It's more of, like, a parent-kid situation, obviously, unless of, like, a partner in crime, you know. Uh, Sadie Adler from Red Dead Redemption 2, my favorite of the Vanderlyn gang outside of John and Arthur. Uh, just the fact that she starts off as a widow and becomes the most badass woman in the Red Dead Redemption universe. Like, just an awesome bounty hunter seeking vengeance. Uh, as the kids would say, I love that for her. <laughs> um, next up, uh, did you play Fallout New Vegas, Jordan? No. No? So there's a hovering... Uh, it looks like a Chevy Chrysler's front end, but shaped like a ball, if that makes sense. It's like a floating a Chevy droid. Chevy Chrysler. Yeah, like an OG Chevy Chrysler. Like the ones you see in front of like a, an old school diner. Aren't Chevy and Chrysler two different car companies? I'm not a car guy. The <laughs> I guess it's a Chevy then. You know what I'm talking about? Like the red candy candy paint with the white, and they have like the big grills in the front. I got you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that as like a ball shaped droid. Uh, he was the companion I chose to spend the entirety of that game with. Uh, there's other people that people like in uh, Fallout, like uh, Dogmeat, who's the big super mutant character. Never really got into that guy. Um, EDU is dope. Uh, last two I have here, Varric from Dra- the Dragon Age games. He's the uh, the witty little dwarf character that is kind of the only through line through all of the games. He's the storyteller that kind of talks about what's happening in the games, right? Um, and the lastly, uh, Clementine from the first season of The Walking Dead. Um, you know, she's Lee's companion in that game. And I the, the first season of The Walking Dead is so good. <laughs> I like the other seasons, but that one is just so, so good. Um, there's other people, like... I don't know if you'd consider Yoshi a companion because, like in the Mar- Super Mario games, right? Because he comes and goes, and it's not necessarily the same Yoshi, like canonically that you you keep by your side. Also, uh, Mario in the original, like when he's riding Yoshi in, I guess it's Yoshi's Island. It's like punching the Yoshis in the back, in of, the head. back of the head. It's not really <laughs> yeah. a companion type of thing. Is there any companions you can think of that uh, I maybe forgot or, you know, anybody I missed? So, Jared, I want to give a shout-out to somebody who you are probably newly familiar with uh, or maybe have a newfound love for, I should say, uh, which is Dandelion from the Witcher series. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, he is also in the the Netflix series as Yaskier, which I think is... uh, a translation type of thing where um as far as i understand it his a better translation for his name would be like buttercup as opposed to dandelion <laughs> um yeah. but maybe they thought that was even more effeminate than dandelion and i don't know but in the books for the english translation of the witcher he's called dandelion and so they did that in the games as well uh but the original version is yaskier uh which is how they pronounce it or how they say it in the Netflix show. So for those that uh, haven't played the games, that's who I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, I think he's, he's great in the books. He's great in the show, but uh, he's very funny in the games just as a video game companion. He's not, you know, not with you 100% of the time, but uh, throughout all three Witcher games, he definitely has, an important role to play and is um, somebody who you're excited or at least I was excited to see I know a lot of people are he's a fan favorite so um, he's uh, basically just a goofy bard that uh, is a very good foil to Geralt's uh, more serious and kind of stone-faced character sometimes Uh, so 
yeah, he balances that out really well, and so I think that makes him a great companion. Uh, two more I just thought about. Uh, Atreus from God of War. Oh, yeah. Um, he actually does there. You can actually, like, choose his powers and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting one. And the other one, uh, I'm surprised I forgot because I really enjoyed this game, BD1 from Jedi Fallen Order, yeah. who's your little droid partner in crime. Yep. Um, it's it's really cool when uh, developers and writers nail those relationships because I find myself most of the time, the characters I find most memorable are the ones that are the companions or the closest ones because you spend the most time with them. Like, I'll remember some other you know NPCs you run into in a certain city or a certain location, but it's the people that are with you throughout like a majority of your journey. Like you said with Dandelion, he's not always by your side, but the fact that he always comes up means that it seems like he's along with you for the entirety of your journey, right? Sure. So, seems like it's a so, shared experience type of thing. It's hard to pick uh, one from this group, but I'm going to say uh, specifically a great video game companion is Charmander into Charmeleon, who turns into Charizard. Um, because, of course, all of the Pokemon that you catch along the way could be considered great companions, right? You could say Pikachu or whatever, really, but uh, I'll just go ahead and give a, a shout-out to the OG Firestarter, which is, of course, as we've talked about, one of my... Um, I, w- I would say that's that's my favorite type of starter, and that's how I go with, you know, like 90% of the time, so... Oh, uh, another one. I would have said this if the Halo game stopped after Halo 3, I would have been super on board with Cortana. But since yeah, then, that character has kind weird. of lost a lot of... Yeah. Um, but, like, take well, those first like three Halo love, games. There's, like, a, uh, a quasi-love story going on in 4. And, yeah, it just... Man, they... It sucks because... I was hyped when Microsoft decided to make Cortana their um, virtual assistant for the rest of their products. I was like, that's a really, (laughs) really cool thing to do in a great video game Easter egg that most people won't even know about. But then they go all weird with her in the games, and it's like, I don't know about this, man. The cool thing, too, is there's some companions (laughs) that we have yet to meet uh, this year. Um, for me specifically, somebody who hasn't played Final Fantasy VII, I'm intrigued to see which character I pull closest to in that game, right? That's in my yeah. party. Yeah. And with Cyberpunk 2077, we've seen that big, like, burly guy. Funny enough, he kind of looks like Varric from Dragon Age a little bit. Um, yeah, but he was the one that people were complaining about with the cringy writing about, like, Hey, Holmes, you want to go do some missions? Or whatever. <laughs> exactly. I'm not saying specifically him. That'll be, like, the, the memorable companion. But... That leads it's to the possible. idea that there may be some other characters that could fill in that role, you know? Sure. Um, now, be- I know you won't know much about this, but quick shout-out to Zeke from the original Infamous Games, who, spoilers, kind of turns on you at one point, but that's it's a whole thing. So, But they're, like, let's just say Infamous 1, you know, shout-out. Uh, where Would you say da- would you put Daxter on this list? Yeah, that's the thing. Is like we could go through the PS2 platformer mascots and say <laughs> yeah. like you got Clank. Daxter from Jack and Daxter, you got Clank from Ratchet and Clank, you got uh, Sully and Bentley from uh, the Sly Cooper series, and there are there are others. So shout out to all of them as well. Thanks for bringing that up, Jared. Good job. The last one I want to mention uh, for me is uh, Aku Aku, the mask from Crash Bandicoot. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he's by your side that entire game. Obviously, when you grab you know enough of him, he makes you invulnerable. Um, not a really, like, you know, established or well-written character. It's just really a mask that, you know, <laughs> is by your side. But, you know, he's a worthy companion. He helps you out when you need him most. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's – it's it's really cool, though, because in the moment, especially for, like, Crash, you don't think of – you know, Aku Aku is like a companion or anything. You're like, oh, I need to collect these masks to get invulnerable so I can do this or do that. But when you look back on it, it's like, I, you know, from that game, I love Crash. I love, you know, Aku Aku. So, shout out to they video are, game companions. They are essential, you could say. Yeah, I mean, 
when they're done right, it's great. When they're done bad, it's just like, get away from me as quick as you can. Stop talking to me. I don't... Like, there are some members from the Mass Effect games that I'm just like... Oh, yeah. Just stay away from me. Like, just um, get away. Murray is the third member of Sly, Bentley, and his gang. So, uh, I said Sully. I was thinking of uh, Monsters Incorporated, but it's <laughs> it's Sly, Cooper, Bentley, and Murray. A uh, shout-out to uh, Goofy and Donald from the Kingdom Hearts series. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, there's the whole meme of, like, Donald, fucking <laughs> heal me, you know, because he's, your, he's yeah. your mage throughout the series, and he can be a little bit fickle when it comes to uh, healing. Now, of course, I've talked to Death about how Kingdom Hearts 3 is, uh, what, if you know, like, just how the fuck to play an RPG and, like, how to upgrade and shit then you're going to be really quickly having a very easy time with that game and so it's like maybe they went a little bit too far it's not it's not even necessarily about how much healing they give you from donald and kh3 it's just about how um the enemies are not like they're a little bit pushover you know so um but yeah i would definitely say kh1 and 2 you are uh oftentimes screaming at Donald for not uh, healing you often enough. Yeah. Hail me! Yeah. <laughs> Those memes, man, so good. Uh, yeah, I think that's it for the, the topic of our favorite companions and games. Shout out to Valentine's Day. Yeah. If you have somebody to celebrate it with, have a good one. If you don't, you know, reward yourself. <laughs> yeah, buy yourself some chocolate. Have a good day. There's nothing wrong with sure, being sure. single. Uh in terms of what we've been playing, I'll go through my list. So I finished The Outer Worlds. Mm. None of my opinions changed from what I said last week. Uh, I really like it. I think it's a you know a good first step towards a franchise I could really love, but it does have that uh, you know independent published quality to it for better or worse. Yeah. Um, the ending was cool. I think it was promising. It did so for me. It's always tough with video game endings because sometimes they end the way you expect them to and it's like, ah. And then sometimes they end when you expect them to and then they add more stuff and it's like, I thought I was just about to be done with the game. Oh, it's the worst. This game? You're like, when you are into a game and it's finishing up and it's like, you think it's ending and you're like, awesome. And then it keeps going. You're like, well, fuck this, you know? (laughs) The cool thing with this game for me is it actually nailed the landing of doing that. So I thought it was going to end at a certain point. It didn't. Stuff jumped off and, you know, went a little crazy. And there was still maybe another hour or so of the game left. And by the end of it, I was happy that other hour was included because I really enjoyed it. When it initially happened, I was like, ugh. But then as I played through it, I was like, oh, this is dope. So thankfully it nailed that. Uh, The other game I played pretty heavily this week. Are you familiar with Yoku's Island Express? I think I've heard the name. So it's the it's a pinball platformer with oh. a little beetle guy in a ball. And it has some Metroidvania elements to it. I wouldn't call it a full on Metroidvania. It's just a good old time. So it's on Game Pass. It's time. certainly a solid podcasty type game. The narrative is not important whatsoever. It's mostly about the gameplay. The way they implement pinball platforming was something that when I initially heard of this game, I was like, how could that work and be fun? And the cool thing with this game is not every literal part of the game is a pinball machine. There's sections that are pinball machines that are designed into the world naturally and they lead to items and stuff like that. And there's multiple sub quest lines that you can do, like gathering certain items or delivering a package because obviously so the reason it's called yoku's island express is your character's name is yoku you uh-huh. land on this island the mailman like leaves and he's like yo you're the mailman now deal with it and you're like all right okay. it features some really i see how yeah, this it features works some... i was like what is a puzzle <laughs> not a puzzle a uh, pinball platformer when you hear that you're like what yeah. uh it features i think four boss battles mm-hmm. and they're pretty cool this is, I don't think it's as beautiful as Ori is, but it definitely gives me Ori yeah. vibes from the art style. Yeah, it's, um, got, it's it's not bad looking. I would say that, like, the character is very small on screen. Um, 
but it is it's got definitely got some pretty effects to it and colors and all that and it's one of those games that you can finish i think i finished like in three and a half hours and i'm like how close am i to completing it or if you're playing on playstation how close is the platinum seems like a relatively easy platinum if you're willing to like you know if you enjoy the the gameplay of it right mm. and they introduce some new mechanics that are really cool like you get the ability to dive underwater you get the ability to where these like slugs will attach onto your ball and depending on where they are on the ball you can shoot yourself and propel yourself in the air depending on the angle right so from left to right if you have the ball and the, and the slug is on the bottom left of your ball if you press a it'll propel you up and right you know what i mean it's kind of like a you know firing a shot so you're, it's a really fun game. You're more looking at the ball, I guess, than the tiny little guy that's connected to it. Yoku, yeah. Which yeah. You, like, it, I feel bad for him because he's just getting rocked <laughs> on this shit, man. Just like whipped around back and forth. You can decorate your ball based on these colors that you find. And you can mix multiples of them to create new designs. So if you take the green spider... It has a specific name, but if you take the green spider spray paint... And like this yellow golden one and you spray your ball with both of them you'll get like a bee skin on your ball which is part of a quest to deliver a package to the bee queen because if you don't have that skin the worker bees won't let you like through so it's it's really fun uh the only reason i played this game was because it was on game pass and i heard such good things it is a game that i would certainly have picked up on sale knowing what it is now for sub 15 bucks i think it I don't know what it normally sells at. I'd assume maybe 20 bucks. Mm. Um, but, but anybody out there, if you're able to pick this game up on sale or if you have Game Pass, I think it's a really solid, just fun game. Like, mm. the narrative isn't important. It's just really fun gameplay. And it's something you likely won't play again for a while. Like I said, mm. a pinball platformer isn't a type of game that comes around too often. I think this game did well sales-wise that they could do a sequel, which would be really cool, and build upon those ideas and maybe get a bigger audience, but it's just really, it's a change of pace, and I love platformers, yeah. and to have this introduction of pinball mechanics in a, a platformer is really cool and seems really like refreshing a, for me. Seems like there's a lot of uh, room to explore here, too. It's a large world, yeah. it's it, it's It kind of goes, you start on the bottom left, you work your way all the way to the right, and then it starts going vertical and then left, you know what I mean? Like, it builds upon itself. There's multiple environments. There's, like, a jungly area, a desert area, the typical video game areas, uh, a deeper jungle area, uh, area, snow area. Um, there is a big twist at the end of the game, which is cool. Uh, you meet a lot of characters along your adventure, and one of those characters isn't necessarily as good as you thought they were, which is cool. You don't expect it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the game. If you have a chance, I would play it and at least try it just to be like, whoa, I never thought I'd play a pinball platformer. You may not enjoy it. It may not be your thing. But if you have Game Pass, man, just download it. It's a beauty of Game Pass. Try out these games. Delete them if you don't like them. Continue playing them. Find your new, your next favorite game, as their Ooh. advertising campaign would say. It is currently six seventy nine on Nintendo Switch. That would actually be a pretty dope place to play it. Yeah. You know I'm looking hmm. for that pinball on the switch all day i forgot they were currently running a, a e-shop sale i didn't even think of i might purchase it again to play it on there really cool game that's pretty much it in the video game realm like i said played outer worlds completed it played yoku's island express really loved it shout out to don from easy allies for talking about this game okay and the last thing i wanted to mention real quick i saw two well one oscar contending movie that cleaned up and another one that should have had a lot more Oscar nominations but didn't. I watched Uncut Gems, which nice. I loved. It's I enjoyed it, Jared. I enjoyed it. It's a, a two-hour stress ride, and I loved yeah. every moment of it. Um, it's obviously not perfect, but, yeah, man, I would say Julia it's, it's Fox. A, it's a great movie. It's not, like, amazing, incredible, but, yeah. Yeah, I think Sandler's performance is really great for yeah. – you know, no one expects that out of him, and it is kind of upsetting that he didn't get at least a nomination for Best Actor, but it is what it is. Um, Julia Fox is, like, one of my new Hollywood crushes. Mm. She's just She does a stellar job from an acting perspective, and she's also, like, super gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, she's, like, his side thing in the movie. Yeah. Um, and his wife and then the is other played film by... I, 
Uh, Adina Menzel. Yeah, her name? who is, you know, Elsa from the Frozen world, which I'll talk <laughs> yeah. about Frozen Two in a second. But go ahead. Uh, the other movie I watched, and it's, I'm you know a week out from watching it, so I'm still kind of raw in my emotions towards the film. But mm. I do think at the end of the day, it'll end up being one of my favorite films ever. Is Parasite. Okay. Yeah. I, I watched it maybe three months ago ish. I really love that movie and what it has to say about, you know, class and as you question, obviously, who exactly the parasite is. I thought a lot of the acting performances were stellar. Um, you know, people need to get over the idea of, like, reading subtitles. It's funny. So, like, with anime, oh, yeah. there's the option of, of reading subtitles or, or watching dubbed. And yep. for me, I prefer dubbed. And I don't think that takes away necessarily from it. I think a movie that comes out you know, especially a Korean film that comes out and has subtitles, I think that's a different beast because I guess with anime, I don't associate those characters with specific actors until I hear the actor. Yeah, it's right? totally different. Beca- it's totally different. Yeah. And also with like a if they were to do an English dub of Parasite, they would do the dumb bullshit where like you can still it hear the Korean voices underneath and so it just yeah. it's totally whack and not that I would want them to like sync up every word with this other live action actor who's talking a totally different language, but it just doesn't work in the way that it can with animation. So, um, yeah, you definitely just go with subtitles on that. And if you're not willing to try out what many people say is the best movie of the year just because it has subtitles, then I think that, that you know you need to get over that. Yeah, it's it's so good. I, I love how the film really feels like three different genres with each act, you know? Yeah. And some of the special effects they did for this film are incredible. The the, the non-vocal storytelling of... You know, I don't want to explain the whole movie because I think it is... For me, the biggest reward I had was not knowing much about the film yeah. until I watched it. Like, the right. only thing I knew was director of the host, bang, right? Two... One of the best films Director of the year. Snowpiercer, Jared. Snowpiercer as well, yeah. Uh, one of the best films of the year. It's a must-watch. That's all I knew, right? Yeah. And I, I wasn't disappointed. I, I loved every moment of it. I I think from... I think... Not necessarily... It doesn't need to be put into education, like, you know, schools or, or plans in a in a very uh, official Great capacity film. but I do think it is a film that can showcase class divide and how depending on the type of class you grow up in can change and dictate the way you view other human beings I do think there's a lot there to learn from uh, whether you're uh, a native Korean speaker or you're an American speaking English I do think it it kind of traverses language in that way yeah, um, yeah I just it, it's an incredible film loved it and, uh, yeah, it's pretty much it for me for everything I experienced this last week. So, yeah, I definitely enjoyed Parasite when I watched it. Uh, and uh, also enjoyed Uncut Gems. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, uh, watched Frozen 2, like, the night before last. When it came out on digital. And um, it is quite different from the first one I would say still enjoyable uh, maybe not quite as good of a movie but I would say it's a really great uh, fantasy story a great fantasy movie they really see that was kind of my favorite aspect of the first movie was the um, European fantasy aspects of it and they kind of went all out just on that specific part of the frozen experience and so i was really excited about that and really enjoyed that and man the movie looks beautiful i went back and watched one of the frozen shorts that i hadn't seen uh when i finished frozen 2 and that short was produced alongside frozen 1 frozen fever is what it's called and it's like seven minutes long just kind of like one little song uh with some really cool dresses but uh the animation just from that from 2015 to 2019 with frozen 2 was a huge difference and 
Um, yeah, I mean, the second movie is just, just gorgeous looking. So um, definitely a shout out to Frozen 2 for sure. Um, what else? I watched Terminator Dark Fate. Uh, I think it's good. It's... You know, nowhere near Terminator 1 or 2. I wouldn't... I don't know if I would say it's good. It was alright. I would say it's pretty fucking mediocre. It has some great action that I really enjoyed. But having a nice-sized television, I was okay with not seeing that action in the theater. You know, it wasn't necessarily worth it just for that for me to go to the theater. That's the newest uh, one, right? With Gabriel Luna? Uh, is that... Is he... The he's the Hispanic guy that plays Ghost Rider. Yeah, he plays Terminator. Yes. Yes, that is. Okay. Uh, yeah, so... He he was great, but they were... It's kind of a similar thing uh, where they took Terminator 1 and 2 and um, kind of remixed it for the this movie in the way that they did like A New Hope with Force Awakens. Um, and it, I wouldn't say it was egregious, but it just felt like their coolest ideas were stuff from Terminator 1 and 2. And so he was mostly a copy of the villain from Terminator 2, the T-1000, which is just one of the best movie villains of all time. So it's like hard to measure up to, even though he did a great job. So um, some really cool action, as I said, and very well... Uh, choreographed and kind of blocked out, plotted out with uh, Tim Miller at the helm. But a movie that I did go to the theater for, as we spoke about last week on the show, Jared, is Birds of Prey. And apparently now being changed from Birds of Prey uh, and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, it is now changed titles to Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. As far as I have heard, I'm not sure how yeah, official you're right but on that. it seems official. So I think it should have just been qual been called. <laughs> There's my Harley Quinn impression. <laughs> I think it should have been called Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Because um, that that's what the comic that's coming out it, to coincide uh, is called, and that is a better flowing name than Harley Quinn. Um, Semicolon, birds semicolon, of prey. Yeah, thank you. Semicolon, uh, birds of prey. And so, nonetheless, titles aside, even though obviously we know I get hung up on that shit, um, birds of prey was for me a, a pleasant surprise, a very pleasant surprise. After a lot of the DCEU movies and specifically Suicide Squad with. Uh, Harley Quinn, you know, with uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. I was rightfully worried about the quality of this film, but uh, yeah, man, they really fucking brought it. The cast was amazing. Um, the jokes, for the most part, I thought it was a pretty damn funny movie. You know, of course, not everything lands, but really, for the most part, I thought they, they had me laughing way more than I could have ever expected them to. Um... And then, yeah, you want to talk about some action, man. It was worth it going to uh, going to see this in Dolby and, and having that gigantic screen because they really, really did the action well. There's plenty of slow-mo, but I felt like it was done in good taste. And they just the way they focused on the action allowed you to see it. You really saw what was going on. You know, Jared, you and I at this point have seen plenty of action movies where it's you're just seeing elbows and fists, you know, you're not really <laughs> yeah. seeing flying body parts. Yeah. You're not really seeing what the fuck is going on. It's like, it shows you the characters and then it goes, it slams into like their, just their midsections and you, you have no idea what's going on. Right. So, or it's shaking so just much that you have no idea what's going on. So this pulls the camera back, big, nice wide shots. And, uh, like I said, plenty of slow-mo, but even when it's not in slow-mo, you're, able to clearly uh understand what is happening with the action and yeah just the the kinetic fluidity of the movie is on fucking point so um generally just a fun flick it 
certainly has its issues and it's not I'm not sure I would say it's a great movie but maybe I've already said it was a great movie earlier but um, I, I don't think it is a great movie at, at the end of the day I think it's a really good movie and something that I would pop on and rewatch in the future but um, it's not necessarily the best uh, you know comic book movie ever uh, up there with the likes of Logan or something like that so um, a good time and, and certainly like I said a pleasant surprise because at this point you know there haven't been a lot of great DC excuse me DC movies recently and so we've got uh, Birds of Prey here and then Wonder Woman 84 coming out soon so looks like we might be in decent shape because you know I'm a gigantic fan of the recent release Shazam Jared so Shazam I wonder if Zachary Levi is going to get more Hollywood roles now I think he could pull off a leading man I like him Lightning from my hands. Lightning from my hands. Man, that's kind of a spoiler for like the best joke in the movie and possibly all time, but fuck me, did I laugh my ass off at that part. I love Shazam. So, yeah, Zachary Levi killed it, and I don't see why he wouldn't be, you know, in high demand. In high demand. Yeah, that's been it for episode 178. Two more episodes after Jordan. Yes. It's a sad day. Two, t- the clock's tick. It's like two, a, two with me as a, uh, you know, as permanent. a co-host. But yeah. I think we can say that I'll be a regular of just like PlayStation unveiling, maybe an E3 show or whatever. I'll, I'll pop up and uh, say hello. Definitely in the Rolodex of guests. Yeah, The sure. guest Rolodex. Um you know, in like uh, when it's like two days remain, that kind of thing. It's like two podcasts remain. Me on the black <laughs> background with the white text. Like, uh, uh, that's some uh, Katana Zero shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully Dom's back next week. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. If you can, please follow us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Shout out to the person who's left us a five-star review. We definitely appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Head over to YouTube, search Controlled Interest, we'll pop right up, subscribe, hit the bell notification so you know when we upload new videos. You can't trust YouTube sub boxes. They're sketchy nowadays, can't trust them. And uh, if you want to follow us more for more frequent updates, go to Twitter, search CTRLINT, that's Controlled Interest abbreviated. You can find us there, we tweet all of the videos and uh, just, you know, video game related stuff and news for, you know, Stuff that's happened on that current day or whatever, you know. I try to come up with some Jared, cool, interesting tweets. With the the YouTube thing, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, YouTube. How much do I have to watch a channel before you think I want to see their fucking videos? Like, <laughs> right. How, literally daily channel watching, and you're like, yeah, you probably don't care about that, do you? Yeah, I'm going to recommend this guy, like, doing a fart prank, because that's what you watch. <laughs> or uh, the 18,000 right. music parodies that are on YouTube, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow us individually on Twitter, you can follow Jordan at Melamodus. You can follow me at Jared underscore. Dom, who's not here this week, you can follow him at Dom's Oreos. And yeah, that's pretty much it for this week's podcast. We'll catch you guys in episode 179. See you guys then.